0: and open up to the book of 1st Samuel chapter 7 hold your place there we'll look at that in just a bit 1st Samuel chapter 7 that's our text this morning as we continue in our series God is up to something big there's a story I love that uh, i I heard uh, years ago it's about a young man named John who received a parrot uh, as a gift and the problem is that this parrot that he received had a bad attitude and And not only did he have a bad attitude, he had pretty bad vocabulary as well. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, it was obnoxious, and it was laced with profanity. So John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently doing things like using polite words to the bird or playing soft music. Anything he could think of maybe that would help clean up the bird's vocabulary. But finally, nothing seemed to work and John was just fed up with it all and he yelled at the parrot and the parrot yelled back at him. John shook the parrot and uh, the parrot got even angrier and even ruder. And so in desperation, here's what John did. He just uh, threw up his hands, he grabbed the bird and he put the bird in the freezer. And for a few minutes, the bird squawked and uh, uh, it it, it made racket, and it kicked and screamed, all that sort of thing. Then there was suddenly just total quiet, nothing, nothing coming out. Not a peep was heard out of the bird for over a minute. And so John was afraid that he had hurt the bird, and he quickly opened the, the door to the freezer, and, he, and the parrot calmly stepped out onto John's arms. And, and suddenly the parrot said this, he said, um, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can going forward to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. Well, John was stunned uh, and couldn't imagine what had caused the change in attitude and vocabulary for the parrot and he was about to ask the parrot what happened, what what made the change, and before he could, the parrot spoke again to John and he said, "By the way, may I ask, what did the turkey do? Did you get it? That's a wake-up call, isn't it? Uh, all of us would agree that we can drift from God." Would you agree with that? We all have this tendency to to wander away from God. And sometimes it takes something dramatic to get our attention, doesn't it? Sometimes it's like something uh, has to shake us, like God has to shake us, to to wake us up. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see that God's people had drifted away from Him, and as a result of drifting away, they had endured hardship after hardship after hardship, and they never connected the dots that the hardship was related to their drifting. Um, and as a result of that, they just continued to experience things that God never intended for them to have to go through. But he was trying to shake them. He was trying to wake them up. He's trying to get their attention to change their behavior. And by the way, let me ask you a question this morning. Have, have you ever considered the fact that some, not all, but some issues in your life, are directly associated with your need to repent and turn back to god that there are times when there are things going on in your life that god's trying to get your attention god's trying to shake you and say wake up i need you to turn around i need you to turn back that's what's going on right here have you ever connected those dots they took them listen it took them 20 years to connect the dots and so today i want to talk with you about uh, how do we change our heart if we've drifted away? And a lot of times we don't even realize that we've drifted away. How do we renew our commitment? How do we return to God? And that's what our passage is about. If you're physically able to stand, stand this morning, do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, this is what the scripture says. And the men of Kareth Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord, and they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son, Eleazar, To have charge of the ark of the Lord from the day that the ark was lodged at Carith Jerim a long time passed some 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord and Samuel said to the house of Israel if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel put away the bales and the Asherahs, and they serve the Lord only. Now, Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the lessons that it teaches us, the instruction that You give us. Father, we thank You because we see ourselves so frequently in these stories. Help us to learn the same lessons that You taught Your people in that generation. Father, speak to us this morning, tune our ears and our hearts in to hear what your spirit wants to say to us, and Father, I pray that you will use your word, uh, Father, to minister both grace and conviction. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, Let me kind of set the scenario up uh, for what's going on. Israel, as I said, had been going through hardship after hardship. In particular, they've been harassed by the Philistines, this has been going on for a long time. And as I said, they had not connected the dots. You know, They hadn't put together the fact that the hardship that they were facing was directly associated with the fact that they had disobeyed God and continued to disobey God. And not only had they drifted, they just continued to drift further and further away. In fact, things had gotten so bad in Israel that the Philistines in one of the skirmishes or battles that they had with Israel had actually stolen the Ark of of the covenant. Now that's a huge thing to Israel because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God among the people. And uh, by the way, it didn't turn out so well for the Philistines. A lot of them died, and there were all kinds of consequences because they had the the Ark with them. But nonetheless, they had the Ark, and this was traumatic for Israel. Finally, the Philistines said, "Here, take it. We don't want it anymore. Take it back." And Israel got it back. They took it. Do you see where they 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 took it and? Uh, to the house of Abinadab and they put it there and Abinadab was in charge of making sure the ark was protected and kept safe again among the people And, um, and yet the people were still distant from God. They had the ark back but they were still Uh, had wandered away from God and continued to water uh, wander away from God and finally they began to kind of come to their senses if you will after 20 years the ark had been there and for 20 years after the ark came back they still were estranged from God and finally and they were lamenting all this time oh God come on God show up again help us again God we want to turn back we want to come back they kept on uh, uh, saying this but finally finally it gets a place where they connect the dots oh wait a minute this might have to do with how distant we are from the things of god and so that's the kind of background the scenario that uh, that uh, has uh has set up our passage and uh, uh, in chapter four ichabod had been written the glory has departed i mean it was a bad time for them and it was all because they had wandered away from god and they needed to return to him there's some hard lessons here in the passage for us, to be quite honest. There's some hard lessons because none of us like to face the fact that we may have drifted, and yet all of us are prone to drift. All of us are prone to water, and we don't even think about it. That's some of the tragedy of it. When I, I remember the first time I was a junior boy in our Sunday school class, made a trip to um, Gulf Shores. I grew up in Birmingham and was part of this church, and so our Sunday school teachers were taking our boys down for a weekend at the beach. It's the first time, I'm a junior boy, it's the first time I'd ever been to the beach in my life. And so I, I, I tried to prepare as best I can. They told, hey, get you a one of these inflatable rafts, you know, that you lay on in the water, that kind of stuff, because all the guys were going to take it. So I got one of those. And I remember, Wally, I went out that day to float in the ocean. I'd never been in the ocean before. I didn't, I mean, this was all new stuff to me. I put my, I put my uh, float in, we all put our floats in, laid there, and I, you know, and the waves are gentle and kind of rocking, and I kind of closed my eyes, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, a half hour later. You all know where this is going? Remember my first time of the beach? I don't half an hour later I kind of wake up and I am all alone I am somewhere down the beach I don't know where there's nobody in sight and here I float out in the ocean and I think (laughs) I'm a junior boy now okay I think who moved all the buildings (laughs) and where are my buddies by the way, they couldn't have been buddies, Chuck, because they would have said, Hey, Ray, stop! They just let me drift. I just drifted, drifted, drifted. Didn't even know until... I ended up drifting close to a mile down the beach. When I realized, it, my, you know, I came to my senses, I realized, hey, I, they must be way back there. And I began, I got my float, and I began to walk back and finally reconnected uh, with the group. I didn't know I was drifting until I suddenly came to my senses. Are you with me? Happens to us, doesn't it? We drift away from God. We just and we don't. It's not purposeful. It's not. Uh, it, it's not intentional. But we just allow things in our life to carry us away from God. We drift away. Israel had drifted away, somewhat intentional, and some just trying to accommodate the culture. Did you know that? Do you know if you try to accommodate the culture in your life, you will probably drift away from God? And that's what they had, they had done. And so, and, and so there are some lessons here for us, some hard lessons, but some encouraging truths for us, both if we're uh, uh, individuals and, frankly, for a nation. And so let me th- show you three things this morning that returning to God involves. If you say, I think I've drifted from God. Well, well how do I get back? What, what are some things to do? you... And so let me give you three things. Number one, this is a message that God gave to Israel for their drifting uh, uh, about returning. Uh, first of all, it requires wholehearted devotion. If you want to return, that's what Samuel says. And by the way, when Samuel reemerges in this story, this is different from you know those early days when he was a child growing up in uh, uh, under the tutelage or in the the temple of God or the tabernacle of God. This is different. Okay, he's now a grown man, so this is years later. Samuel's a grown man, and he is recognized as a man of God. And he shows up, and he says, Okay, y'all been lamenting all these years? Lamenting means grieving and weeping and mourning. God, where are you? Okay, Samuel shows up and says, I'm gonna, Let me tell you, are you serious? You want to return? Let me tell you how. Number one, he says, wholehearted devotion. Look at verse 3. He said, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, underline that, with all your heart, If you're returning uh, with all of your heart uh, and and that means a full-hearted kind of devotion not a half-hearted kind of thing and and so he clarifies some things for them Uh, and number one he uses the word if and that represents the fact that God's people had to make a choice if you are returning he didn't say you are going to return he said if you are. are you serious about this if you're serious about returning if it's your choice all of us have to make that choice. When we drift, we have to choose to return to God. And I think, by the way, like Israel, that may happen a number of times in our life. It happened again and again and again in Israel's life. And I think it, uh, it happens many times over the course of our life. But we have to come to that point where we realize, I've got to make a choice. Am I going to return to God or am I just going to drift on off? And some people choose not to return. Some of those who have uh, claimed to be followers of Christ sometimes just drift away Uh, John said they went out from among us because they were never really one of us. But it involves a choice. And uh, God's people have to make a defining choice at times. And there's some interesting things about your choices because, you know, your choices will do several things. Uh, they They will define your values. You know your choices define your values. Your choices show what you think is most valuable in your life. The kinds of choices that you make will always reflect what you value the most. And secondly, your choices will define your convictions. Now, convictions and values are, are two different things. Values are the things that you just prioritize. You think these are the most important things uh, in the world. Now, over the past several weeks, we've, we've talked about the two most important things in the world. Number one, the most important thing in the world, do you all remember what it was? It's God's, God's will. Remember that? And number two, we said doing God's will Is the most important thing in our lives okay so we we've defined those are the most important things the question really is in your value system do you really live valuing those things above all other things go back and listen I there's a message I preached about four weeks ago uh, God's will above all do you really believe that's a value you say your your choices tend to be made by the things that you value the most You go look, you examine, you'll see that the things you value the most tend to affect what you you choose. Secondly, though, your convictions, your your choices define your convictions. Your convictions are the things you're willing to live for and the things you're willing to die for. See, that's a little different from values because convictions are, you let me tell you where your convictions are generally revealed, in storms. Values are revealed all the time, but convictions are revealed mostly in the storms of life uh, because they show what you really hold that you're w- willing to go through to stand on. I'm not, I'm not bending. This is my conviction. I won't bend even if it costs me. So Do you see the difference? It's like the, the parable. You've heard the parable Jesus told about the the, the two men, they built their houses. One built their house on sand. Another built on the foundation of the rock. And the storm came, Jesus said. Both of the houses look great. They both look great. I mean, you would have looked at them before the storm and gone, wow, those are two beautiful homes. But it was the storm that revealed which one had a foundation. That's what convictions you. The storm reveals what your life is built on. And that's why we, your convictions are demonstrated more in the difficulties of your life than at any other time. It's not hard to mouth convictions that you live your life by as long as your life is going the way you want your life to go. But when life twists, when life turns, that's when we find out the real convictions. And so, and so your choices determine your, uh, define your convictions. I'll tell you something else your choices do. They reveal what your heart's devotion really is. Um, because you're going to choose to pursue the things that you're most passionate about. You will, you will change the th- chase the things that you're most passionate about. So, if God is your passion, then you'll chase God. Your, your choices reveal the devotion of your heart. You know the story of the rich man in the New Testament that came to Jesus and said, I want to be your follower. You, you remember that story? He said, I want to be your follower. Um, and uh, Jesus said to him, you remember Jesus said to him, okay, that's great, if you want to be my follower, then then uh, do this. And the man said, I, I've done that. And he says, well, then do this. One of the things he said, he said, keep the law. He said, I've, I've kept the law. He said, honor your father and your mother. And he said, I've done it. And, you know, Jesus could have messed with this guy. He did mess with him in an unusual way, but he could have really messed with this guy. You know, he could have said to this guy, You do know I'm God. And I know you haven't kept the law. And let me give you 15 examples. Remember, I'm God in the flesh. I know about you. But he didn't. Jesus didn't. He said, okay, there's one thing you lack. You remember what it was? The man was wealthy. And he said, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Now, let me just relieve you. If you, you say, well, gosh, that's, I don't know. Look, look this issue was not about his wealth it was about his heart see jesus can look into your heart and my heart and he can know where our treasure is because where your heart is jesus said there your treasure will be also and so uh, and so he says take what you got sell it, give it to the poor this wasn't a money problem this was a heart problem and Jesus looked in the man, and he knew what his passion was. And you know what? In his case, it was his money. His money was his God. And the Bible says that this guy, when Jesus said that to him, it says his countenance fell or his face fell. That's, it's like saying that Jesus said, Okay, all right, you've done that. You've done this good stuff. Okay. Take all your, your possessions, sell it, and give it to the poor. And the guy does this. He goes, it is this is the expression of saying i can't do that i can't believe you would ask me to do that i mean that's really what's going on here and the bible says he turned and left and the remarkable thing to me always has been about this story the remarkable thing every time i read it i still come away with this jesus didn't chase him to me that's the most remarkable part jesus didn't chase him jesus didn't say oh oh, wait, wait don't leave How much did you say you had? You know, we could probably use that on the road. What what you got? Look, if the guy had been a Baptist, we'd have chased him down. (laughs) Because um, he had morals, right? I've done all this. I kept the law. He, He had manners. He called Jesus a good teacher. And he had money. We'd have found a way. Hey, listen, listen at least tithe you know that's the kind of thing we we might have done jesus didn't in that remarkable jesus didn't chase him because jesus knew the fundamental problem that this man had was a heart issue and and friend i want to tell you something it cuts deeply because it's true about us it may not be money for you what it, it could be a relationship it could be you list whatever it is but it is it is what Uh, uh, controls the passion of your life it is what it uh, determines the devotion of your heart and so uh, uh, Samuel is doing that here he is clarifying uh, that their choice reveals a lot about them and their choice reveals whether they're going to worship God or or be pagan did you know you can confess to follow God and still be paganistic Because paganism is about the God that really controls you. The God that that you really serve. And they were serving pagan gods. They had tried to do what we try to do. I mean, when you read some of this stuff, you say, this is almost like the 21st century. Well, it really is. It's been going on because it's partly, this kind of process is part of the devil's mode of operation to get us to confuse religions and put them, try, to, to try to put them all together and make them all work together. And that's what they had tried to do. They had brought in all these pagan gods because that was culturally acceptable. And they brought them all and they mixed them together and they tried to serve everything and everyone. And in listen, in, <clears throat> in doing so, they have done the fundamental thing that God had commanded them not to do, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And then listen to what Paul writes to Roman Christians in chapter 1 of Rome, uh, uh, Romans. For although, this is, listen to what he says, Romans chapter 1, for although they knew God, that is the people around, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and And their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Listen and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Wow, that's first century. This is a a, a, a thousand years before that, and here we are two thousand years after this. Three to 4,000 years beyond this. And guess what? A a whole lot hasn't changed, has it? Romans 1 sounds like words being written right now to the 21st century, doesn't it? You see, we're defined by what we worship. And we're defined by what our heart's devotion is pointed to. It's why Jesus said said to us, wherever your passion, your your treasure is your heart will follow it but I, I will tell you this not only must god's people make defining choices they they also have to to uh, make a decision to be totally committed this is about commitment it's not just about their choices again he uses the word all here there's no half hearted commitment did you know uh, an attempt at half hearted commitment to god is not really commitment at all Back in August, this past August, Apple Computer um, initia- initiated a, a call for their employees to come back and work on site. That you know, COVID had sent them all off remotely, and. And they're trying to be, I guess, good corporation. They sent their employees. Said y'all work remotely, and that's fine, and we'll still pay you, and all of that kind of stuff. And I get that, you know, back in those days. But now they said it's time for people to start coming back on site to the office. And so they they issued a command, uh, or I, I guess a letter, saying to the employees, come back and work on site. Well, listen, to this the employees now didn't like that, and so in September they filed a petition against their employer saying we don't think it's right that we should have to respond to higher levels of authority telling us we have to come back to on site to work now they didn't say and we understand that if we don't they won't pay us they just said we don't think it's right now that we have to come back to work and they had this petition That that they moved through many, and I don't know the outcome yet. I haven't heard the outcome uh, of it yet, but they said, We don't think, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, listen to the demand that Apple put on them. We're now asking our employees to come back to work on site for at least three days a week. Three days a week. Man, what an ogre. Three days a week now listen isn't that absurd pay me but I'm gonna do it my way you don't have the the authority to to ask me to come back uh, that's what you call half-hearted commitment no that's no commitment I'm gonna do it my way by the way no employer ever <laughs> I got to think it have you ever seen an ad by an employer looking for employees something that says something like this employment opportunity we're looking for someone who will show up whenever they feel like it and give as little effort as they need to give to get the job done and also who uh, is entitled to receive the highest benefits available. Can you imagine an employer putting that ad out? Just show up whenever you want to. And if you have something that we want you to do, you know, give only the amount of energy you need to give to it to get the job done and then nothing else can you imagine that it wouldn't happen now the the fact is that might work in today's woke culture but it doesn't work in the kingdom culture God doesn't say well hey if you're returning to me I tell you what let's let's strike a deal you want to return to me here's all I'm asking I'm asking for a half-hearted kind of devotion Just give me whatever you can give me, whatever you're comfortable with. That'll be good enough. Listen, what we have to do is we have to be careful to not treat God like He's a vitamin that we take just for spiritual maintenance. You know, I take a little bit of God, I get inoculated, a little uh, inoculation, or as Barney Five calls it, inoculated. I I get inoculated with God just a little bit, I give him what I want to give him. Listen, that works maybe in the woke It doesn't work in the kingdom. And that's what Samuel's saying to them. If you are returning, here's the idea, with all of your heart. Do you get that? All. Not part. Not 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 half-hearted. You see, if your relationship with God is not not more than just a supplement to your life, It it is not a life of commitment to him. And he calls you to commitment. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22:36 36 and 37, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with half of your heart, with half of your soul, and with half of your mind. Some of us already got that one knocked out, but you know that's not what it says, right? Y'all do know that, right? At least act like you've read your Bible. You know that's not what it says. Jesus answered and what did he say when they said what's the great commandment Jesus answered and said you shall love the Lord your God with what class all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind every part of you that's what God calls for God calls for no less than total devotion that affects all of our life and so when they wanted to return he said if you want to return if you want to return you got to come fully completely totally committed Here's the second thing returning to God involves. It involves wholehearted departure. Wholehearted departure. What were they departing from? What was God telling them to depart from? He was telling them to put away the foreign gods in verses 3 and 4. And they did. You see, here's what Samuel was saying. If you as God's people want God's favor again, then you must turn away from the pagan gods and the pagan idols that they had put in their homes and in their hearts You say, but what's a pagan god? What's a foreign god? Well, a foreign god or a pagan god is anything that distracts your devotion from God and causes you to put your dependence on that instead of God Almighty. Those are things that are foreign. And you know what God says? If you're going to return to me, you've got to deal with those things. Those things that are pulling your affection away from God, they have to be dealt with physically and spiritually. And look, You would say, well, back then, it's pretty obvious. You know, they had the little gods, and and they really did. They had little idols, and they represented different things, the Asteros and the Baals, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But listen, listen, this was more difficult than it might sound like. And it was difficult because if they dealt with these foreign gods, it would fly in the face of the surrounding culture. You see, at the Asteros, which was actually the name of the goddess uh ashtar in in canaan and ashtar was a fertility goddess and she was a cohort of Baal and uh, uh, sexual rites were part of their worship and 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 the culture had sanctioned this oh yeah we all because because you and, and so it was part of worship it was a prostituted kind of worship literally and physically and spiritually it was this incredible kind of thing and they said oh yeah fertility and if we if we worship if we worship Astaroth or ashtar and the bells then they will uh, they will uh, give favor to our crops and everything and the ironic uh, ironic thing was it never happened but they were so paranoid and they bought into the cultural lie that this is acceptable worship this is how you do it and if you don't do it your crops will fail do you know it even got to the point where they were offering their kids said they were bringing in and, and causing their children to pass through the fire do you know what that was they would they would take Moloch and Moloch was a, a one of their kind of hybrid a uh, uh, God figures that was under the the kind of oversight of the Bales and and Ashtar, and they would take their children's the infant children. They would heat up uh, a molech to this incredibly high temperature, and then they would take and they would take their children, infants, and lay them on the scalding arms of molech, and they would literally. I know this is this is it's tough, but they would literally fry their children to death. Can you imagine that? And they had become so callous because they were so far from God that they believed the lie that you could offer your children in the fire and somehow it would grant you favor over your crops. And they did this, and God has a lot to say about it. Have we been doing that? You better believe we've been doing that. And by the way, God doesn't like it. Listen to what, listen to what Judges says. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now listen, listen, you want to hear the consequences? And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of the, their surrounding enemies, the Philistines and others, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned them and as he had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Do you get that? Do you understand what's going on? God said, because of your paganism. And remember, they had mixed Jehovah God. Do you know whose leadership this was under? This was under Eli, the priest's leadership. This is where it began. The priest who should have been leading them specifically in the ways of God had just allowed the whole thing. You just kind of worship how you want. You worship how you want. You follow who you want. Does that sound like 21st century America? It doesn't matter. One way is as good as another way. Pick your way. Whatever your truth is, on and on and on. Absurd. Ad infinitum, ad nauseum. And that's what was going on. And because of that, you think God isn't watching? You know what he said? His anger was kindled. His anger was kindled against them. You know what? Remember I said they didn't connect the dots? So they'd go out to war, and God was actually fighting against them, bringing harm to them. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to connect the dots. But every once in a while, if you want to say, why does a nation decline? Why don't you see who their gods are? And you say, well, didn't God use a pagan nation? That's right. God y'all used a lost pagan nation to bring judgment on His people. That ought to scare us to death. And they didn't connect the dots, that their own disobedience and their own distance and their attempt to just merge all these kinds of beliefs, <clears throat> they just thought, that's OK. And God says his anger was kindled. I want to tell you something. I hope you understand the magnitude of what I'm talking about here this morning because you can personalize that. And sometimes we need to say, is God trying to shake me? Is God sticking me in the freezer to get my attention because there are foreign gods in my life that are controlling or getting my passions? J.I. Packer, in his book, Your Father Loves You, he, listen to what he wrote. He said, What other gods could we have besides the Lord? Well, plenty. For Israel, there were the Canaanite Baals, the jolly-natured gods whose worship was a rampage of gluttony, drunkenness, and ritual sexual prostitution. For us, there are still the great gods, sex, shekels, and our stomachs. They form an unholy trinity, constituting one God, ourself. And the other enslaving trio, there is pleasure, possessions, and position, whose worship is described as, in the Bible, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John 2.16. He goes on to add, we have football, the firm, and the family uh, as gods sometimes as well. Indeed, the list of other gods is endless. For anything that anyone allows to run his life becomes his god, and the claimants for this prerogative are legion. In the matter of life's basic loyalty, temptation is a many-headed monster. You see, it's always been true that if God's people are going to live in victory, their departure from worshiping the gods of man is required. You can't wor- No man can serve two masters, Jesus said. So I want to ask you this question. Are there any foreign gods in your life that you're depending on? Are there any gods that are distracting you from wholehearted devotion. And only you can answer that. Only you can say, God, show me. Well, are there? And be honest with you. By the way, you never fool God. You can fool people around you and say, no, I don't have any of those, those gods. Uh, but you don't fool God people around you may be fooled but God's not fooled that's why you need to be very honest because if you say God I don't have any uh, any gods competing against you and if you do God might just say well why do you think uh, have you not connected some of the dots because I see the gods of your life if there are then there must be wholehearted departure right that's what he told them to do if you're returning to the lord then there's going to have to be wholehearted devotion there's going to be, have, have to be wholehearted departure from the gods that are controlling you and then third and last he speaks of wholehearted direction verse three look at this if you're returning to the lord with all your heart then put away the foreign gods and the asheroth from among you look at this and direct your heart to the lord and serve him only that's wholehearted direction The word direct there means to to take a firm stand, to establish a a position, and then it's the idea of establishing a position and focusing on something. And so when he says direct your heart, well, he's talking about two things. He mentions service in there, wholehearted service direction involves service what are you serving what are you going to serve who are you going to serve and it involves giving ourselves to the things of god as opposed to the false agendas of the age and so we ask this question whose agenda are you serving now let let me tell you something interesting because i don't want you to miss it did you know that god had bradley mentioned jeremiah 29 uh, 11 that i know the plans that i have for you and and uh, they're they're, they're great. god has an agenda for you At, we've talked about in the last three weeks that god created you for his will that's his agenda god created you for his will and uh, your destiny is tied to that we talked about all those things god has an agenda god has an agenda. now it's his agenda he created you for all right god has an agenda but listen to this did you know the devil has an agenda for your life The thief has come but to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy you spiritually. Frankly, he wants to destroy you physically. He can only do what God allows him to do, but he has an agenda that he wants to... And right now, in this world, because God has allowed it in his sovereignty, he has given him certain permission he is the prince and power of the air the scripture says that this domain is his it won't last forever but right now and and so he offers you an agenda and did you know the devil's agenda will often seem like a spiritual agenda you know why because the bible says that the devil masquerades as an angel of light so the devil's not going to offer an agenda to you and say this was birthed in hell and it's tailor-made for you, because you're going to go. You're going to say, "No, no, 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 no. I'm too smart for that." So what does he do? He he masquerades as an angel of light, and so he said, "Here's an agenda for you, and it involves it involves you know." Uh, 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 your life connecting with the, the gods of the age, but it's okay, you know, just mix a little bit here and a little bit there, not all of it. And he has an agenda why is that? Because his agenda is designed to take you down spiritually, that's what he wants to do. How do we know he operates that way? Well, in the garden, how did he start? He started out by he said to Eve, He says, Is God really calls God into question? Has God really said you can't eat of this tree? That's what he does in our life. He still raises these questions in our our heart. God doesn't seem to be fair. I, I told you this before, but just remember this. You don't want God to be fair. You're in real trouble if God decides to be fair. What you want is God to be gracious and merciful. All right? But the devil says, God's not fair. He's not treating you right. He treats somebody else uh, better than you, and you deserve his, and, and uh, that's how his agenda operates. And all of those are birthed in hell, but they're cloaked in religion uh, oftentimes, and they're cloaked in the kind of uh, self-focused uh, um a language that we want to hear yeah that's right I do this I'm a, you know I've tried to live for God a whole lot more than that person over there and they seem to prosper you know when the evil prosper how is it that they prosper and yet and my life is so tough and everything remember God doesn't settle all his accounts in this life and so he offers you an agenda he has an agenda an agenda and that agenda is all about directing your life away from God about destroying you. And sometimes you say, well, if God already owns me, why would the devil be interested in that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you why he would be interested in that. He's interested in that because he hates God. And because he hates God, he likes to uh, uh, hate on God's kids. You know, I'll just pick on his kids. But he offers to us this... uh, You know, the devil offered Jesus an alternative agenda remember when he took Jesus into the wilderness and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world the gods of this world you remember what he said to him all of these are mine that's a subject of a whole nother message but he said all of these are mine and then he said to Jesus if you'll bow down and worship me I'll give them all to you an agenda he has an agenda for your life so don't, don't think well God has an agenda listen the devil has an agenda too the voice that you listen to is the one that's going to determine which agenda you live by so it's about service but it's also this direction thing is about stance he told him to serve but he also, he also said to him direct your heart This is purposeful. It is the idea, you remember uh, I told you the the idea of taking a stand? This is where it comes into full clarity in the passage. So it's the idea of taking a stand and focusing on God, but it involves meaning I have to turn my back on something so I turn away from something I shouldn't be focused on and I turn toward what I should be focused on so when he says direct your heart it is turning my heart from the the false thing that it's devoted to to the true thing that god uh, which is god that he wants me to focus upon it's the essence of just turning around it's the essence of genuine repentance you know that's what repentance is i'm going one way and quite frankly i just i do an about face and i start going the other way that's what he's that's what he's trying to help them understand if you want to return to god you can't return to god and keep going the way you're going but you got to take your position you got to turn and you got to you got to to go forward and by the way you know how the devil try to keep you from turning around he'll try to remind you of all your past failures see everybody in this room and everybody listening to me probably could write down a list of past failures oh man i wish i could do that i wish i i've got some some things I wish I could just... Oh God, I wish that had never... But God, look, it's how you respond to them that makes a difference, by the way. But the devil will try to load you down with that. So you can't go on with God. What makes you think you can go forward with God? You can't go forward with God because you've got all this stuff in your past. So how are you going to go forward with God? That's what he tells us. And it's all intentional to try to keep us from returning to God. And so we say, well i can't go forward because yeah. You know, I mean, did you know let me tell you one of the one of the characters in the bible that had the greatest baggage i can think of is the apostle paul do you know before he got saved paul spent his his adult years prior to getting saved trying to destroy the church we don't know for certain how many christians died because of paul in fact, we think Stephen, this saintly Stephen, that Paul was there attending. The Bible says to his death, and then he gets saved. You think that guy? You think that guy probably had some baggage that would tell him, uh, you know, I don't think you're, I don't think you can go forward here. Don't you imagine the devil tried to argue that with him? You think you? Who are you? You're going to write most of the books of the New Testament? You remember what he said though in Philippians? He said, Look, here, I've, I've learned something. I've learned to forget the things that are behind and to press on toward the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just help you with some, some terminology there. When Paul says that in the Greek, it doesn't mean when he says, I forget. You ever had somebody just say, I'll oh, just forget it and go on? And you say, Man, would I, I sure would like to. Paul wasn't saying, it's no longer my my brain he wasn't saying it's been scrubbed out of my brain and and so if you mentioned what happened back there he wouldn't go huh I don't remember any of that Paul remembered it we know he did because he gave his testimony before some government authorities he told his story about how he came to Christ and what had been in his past so we know he hadn't forgotten it in a in a literal sense but you know what he was saying in Christ i'm forgiven of that and so i go forward i press on i don't do this i don't try to go forward by doing this he said man my focus is on the prize of the upward calling i can't undo that but i can go forward i'm forgiven of that and so functionally he lived in forward and and left behind his past that's what it means And so what we have to do is we have to turn away. They couldn't undo where they've been. And by the way, they would get here, they would repent, and they would get here again, just like you and me. But what Samuel says, so go forward. Turn away and go forward. Well, let me close by telling you about something that maybe you've seen or at least read. 2010. Sandra Bullock won the uh, Best Actress Academy Award for the role she portrayed of Leanne Tuohy in The Blind Side. Have you all seen the movie The Blind Side? It's a great movie. Maybe if you had not seen it, maybe you read the book. You, if you have, you know that the movie chronicles the, a Christian family, the Tuohy family, who took in a homeless young man and they gave him the chance to reach his God-given potential. Michael Orr, who went on to be an all-pro in the NFL as a left tackle, an incredible athlete. But he was, he was from a very dysfunctional inner city uh, 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 home and won much of that and uh, became a first-round NFL draft choice. But everything changed when one morning, and Sean Tui, Leanne's husband, is telling this story at uh, a meeting years uh, after all of this had happened. He said, everything changed, and it changed one morning when we're driving and it's cold it's bitterly cold and we see this young man whom we recognize from the high school because their daughter went to high school with him this big kid he's walking down the road in shorts i think he had on flip-flops and a t-shirt in uh, sub-zero temperatures and they saw him they went past him and suddenly sean telling the story says my wife said to me sean turn around and so we turned around we went back and we picked him up, and we brought him into our home, and it changed our lives, and it changed his life forever. We kind of sort of adopted him in uh, to our family. If you've seen the story, the movie, you need to go. I mean, you remember that, but if you haven't, you need to watch it because it's a wonderful kind of message, but it's a true message. But Sean telling this says everything changed for our family because of two words, the words, turn around. Do you know what? That's what Samuel's saying. Turn around. I want to ask you this morning as I close, do you need to turn around? Have you drifted, you know, like I did, that junior boy way on down here, and suddenly you say, how did I get here? Well, now that's not an issue. The question is, do you need to turn around, and will you turn around? You're just going to keep floating or drifting off. Turn around those two words can change anyone's life that's what samuel said to god's people they were lamenting remember and he said y'all want to return to god turn around it's that that that's the message and maybe you need to turn around maybe you're watching by live stream or listening on radio and you need to turn around uh, doing about face maybe maybe it's concerning your your denial of christ or maybe it's concerned your disbelief in christ or it could be a christian that needs to turn around from having wandered away whatever the case is whatever your situation a great story of change can be can be experienced in those two words turn around and that's what samuel that's what god said to his people turn around turn around you're going one way it's the wrong way turn around it may not be easy because the culture says that doesn't make sense to us that's okay never expect listen never expect a culture that doesn't know god to get it what they will get however is the transforming work that he does in your life when he sees when they see your life it becomes a testimony of what god does Do you need to turn around? Why not today? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking about in this place. Lord, thank you so much that you have given us so many opportunities and chances, and we need them, God, because we just drift, and then we get it right, and then we drift again, and on and on, just like Israel did, God. But I pray for those who are listening to my voice, however that may be, that need to turn around right now, Father, would you cause them to call out to you and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been moving in the wrong direction and I, right now, God, I want to turn around and I want to follow you with all my heart, with wholehearted devotion. There's wholehearted departure, God. There are things that I'm going to deal with and get rid of. There is wholehearted direction, Father. Wherever you are, that's where I want to go. I pray for those who father in that place i pray for some who maybe need to start with christ uh, uh, they need to be transformed by allowing your son jesus to come into their life if any man is in christ he is a new creation and all things have passed away help them to turn to christ today lord would you speak before we're gone before we're gone from this place uh, father would you speak to our hearts and would you cause us to respond to you and to the tug and the pull of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, our invitation in this place. Those of you who are joining us by live stream, they'll give you instruction. You'll see it on your screen. There's a decision you need to make or you uh, uh, want to make to trust Christ as your Savior, maybe to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. There's information there and and. Uh, and uh make sure that you take advantage of that information some of you in this place there's a decision that you need to make maybe it's to join ridgecrest Uh, you can use that tear off panel you can clip whatever it is and put it in the basket or box and we'll get it we'll take it from there maybe Maybe this morning you need to come and say, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Or, I want to I join Ridgecrest. I want to be a part of this family. Or maybe you just want to come and use this prayer altar. You're praying for someone. Maybe there's someone you know that needs to turn around. And listen, you need to get on your knees probably, praying for them, seeking the Lord. Come and use this altar. You're praying about a decision. I don't know, whatever it may be, take advantage of this moment, all right? So... I'll be here. Other staff will be on the aisles. If there's a decision for you, join the church, receive Christ, whatever it may be. I need to be baptized, whatever it may be. You slip out, balcony, ground floor, right now as Bradley leads us. You come on right now.